The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. All right, get out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to catch you up to speed, but I also want to encourage you to listen to the podcast, all right? Uh, We talked about how important Jesus' Sermon on the Mount has to be to us as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. How many of you guys made uh, good on your commitment to read or listen to the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7? Who did it? There we go. There we go. We got a couple. Awesome. Rest of you slackers, like, what are you doing with your life? 17 minutes. You had, you had one job this week, 17 minutes. Okay, listen to it this week. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Josh, he likes to listen or study the Bible in the bathtub. And the other day, he came out, I think it was Sunday night. You got out of the bathtub and you were like, dude, the Sermon on the Mount is insane. Like he's, to read it all together like that as one sermon, as one message of Jesus, one kind of conference, like he covers so much. So it's so good. Um, and in this Sermon on the Mount... What Jesus does is he kind of lays out a declaration of the kingdom. He lets us know what the kingdom that he is building should look like in us, what he wants it to look like in and through us. And I think now more than ever in the culture, in the climate, in the times that we're living in, we have got to really sink our teeth in into the teachings of Jesus, the fundamental, foundational teachings of Jesus Christ, what kingdom culture is all about. I see a lot of believers right now that are really off message. We have to get back on message, back on the message of Jesus Christ. So he starts this declaration of the kingdom with the Beatitudes. And we learned last week that uh, the best way to describe the Beatitudes are attitudes that should be in our life. I made you say it a trillion times last week. I'm going to make you say it a trillion times this week, starting now. Somebody say, these attitudes attitudes should be in my life. life. Okay, can you say it with that level of enthusiasm throughout this, this message. Can you do that? Like when we get to the end? Okay, thanks. That would be awesome. Okay. As we talked about these attitudes that should be in our life, we talked about how Jesus said if they were that we would be blessed. He mentions the word blessed eight times alongside all eight of the Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And, and I think what we see when we see the word blessed, we automatically go to like money and cars and houses and followers and status and, and power. But what Jesus was talking about when he said blessed had nothing to do with any of that. What Jesus meant when he said that we could live the blessed life, he meant that we could have a joy untouchable life, that we could carry this supernatural joy with us, that no matter what, whatever circumstances, whatever life throws our way, mountain highs or valley lows, there's this underlying untouchable joy. It's independent of everything going on around us. That's what the blessed life looks like according to Jesus. That's what what the blessed life looks like according to the Sermon on the Mount. Beatitude believers are untouchable. In fact, that was the name of the message last week, Untouchable Part 1. Today it's called Untouchable Part 2. And um, I think it's important for us to really understand that when we're missing joy, joy is missing in our lives, that we not be quick to point fingers, like it's the president's fault, 
It's the school district's fault. It's it's my husband's fault. It's my boss's fault. Usually the culprit. (laughs) Almost always the culprit. Yeah, let's just say it. Always the culprit. When our joy is being touched and it's being messed with, it's the person looking back at us in the mirror. It's because these attitudes that Jesus said should be in our lives are not in our lives. So we're not experiencing blessing. If the attitude is not there, the blessing won't be there either. Okay. So we've got to understand these attitudes. We've got to be asking the Holy Spirit every day to help us uh, possess them in our lives. So we're going to look at them together again, Matthew 5. Verse 3 through 10, I'm going to go ahead and read all eight of them. And we know from last week that when I say, follow along with me on the screens, that doesn't mean check out. That doesn't mean scroll Instagram for a second. That doesn't mean kind of like get distracted. When I say, look at this with me on the screen, I want you to really look at it. Like look at each word and ask the Holy Spirit right now, just in your heart, Holy Spirit, speak to me today. I want, to, I want you to show me something in this passage that Jesus taught. So look for words that stand out to you. He wants to speak to you. Okay, here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked last week about how the poor in spirit are those who admit spiritual bankruptcy. We're not rich in spirit. We're not upper upper middle class in spirit, but we are poor in spirit. We have a humble and honest attitude about ourselves. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those who take time to experience the godly sorrow that God wants you to experience over your sin, you will be comforted by God. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Not the weak, but the meek, those who have power, but they know how to keep that power under control. Those who, um, they don't respond to offense in natural ways like Peter cutting somebody's ear off, but in supernatural ways like Jesus being silent before the shears, even when they hurled insults at him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We talked about how there comes a time when we have to make that decision where we're ready to leave behind the kids menu and the soggy red jello and the cheap thrills of the McDonald's toy. And we're ready to hunger and thirst after wholeness and holiness. We realize that God has more for us. And as we hunger for those things, we're satisfied. All right, now. You guys ready to get out some fresh bread this morning? You ready for for the last of the four Beatitudes? Here we go. Blessed are the merciful, merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, like we talked about last week, this kind of sounds like opposite day. This kind of sounds like blessing and persecution don't go together, but you'll see what God is talking about, what Jesus was talking about as we get into this. Okay, if you're taking notes, here comes the first beatitude. Untouchable are the merciful. Untouchable are the merciful. And remember, we like this word are that we see in all eight Beatitudes because R is present tense. It's not blessed will be the merciful someday in the sweet by and by. It's blessed are right now the merciful. So we like this word R. Okay, I want you to play along with me. Real quick, everybody, close your eyes. Close your eyes, close your eyes. I'm gonna say a word and I want you just like, what's the first thing that pops into your head when you hear this word mercy? Mercy. What's the first thing that pops into your head? All right, now open your eyes. 
Okay, this is the first thing that pops into my head when I hear the word mercy. <laughs> Uncle Jesse. Any other 90s kids having full house flashbacks where John Stamos, his catchphrase is have mercy. have mercy. Or maybe you're seeing the game that you played as a child, that really torturous game where you like grab somebody's hands and you try to hurt them and then they, they yell out mercy. Uh, my kids were playing that this weekend and I just, at a, at a restaurant, I was like, who taught them this game? Like it's just something that keeps getting passed down, this horrible game of mercy. Uh, of course, when you play that game, the person who cries out mercy is the loser and the person who extends mercy is the winner. Now, if this game were around in the Roman age, uh, the person who extended mercy would not have been the winner. They would have definitely been the loser because Romans did not admire mercy. Philosophers called mercy a disease of the soul. They said it was something to be avoided if you expected to be successful. But Jesus came and he boldly declared that blessed or untouchable are the merciful, those who are full of mercy. He took this upside down thinking and he turned it right side up. Mercy is not something to be avoided. Mercy is not a disease of the soul. It's the health of the Christian experience. Mercy. Okay, so even though this is a word that we've heard a lot, like in pop culture, Uncle Jesse, in these games that we play on the playground, we've got bands like Mercy Me, we have Mercy Hospital, we have musicians like Shawn Mendes singing, please have mercy on me, take it easy on my heart, or the other song, I don't know who sings it, but you got me begging you for mercy. Like, this is a word we hear, we see, we see it in, in scripture, we hear about it in, uh, in sermons, but it's a word that if we're not careful, it can wash over us in a really uneventful way. It kind of loses its meaning. It loses its weightiness. Or, or we may not know how to explain it. So if we can't explain it, then we don't understand it, then we can't appreciate it, then we can't be full of it, right? Uh, this kind of happened about to me about two years ago. I was taking the kids to school, and my nine-year-old, who, who was seven at the time, she, uh, we were saying something I say all the time as we pray. We thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. And Bo said, Mom, what are mercies? And nothing will check your knowledge of theology like a seven-year-old asking you a question like, what is mercy? And uh, I realized that I, I didn't know how to like break this down for her, this weighty, rich word. I, I didn't know how to explain it, which means I didn't really understand what it was. So I did a word study on it. And here's what I found out. God's mercy is his goodness, it's his kindness, it's his faithfulness, it's his beauty, it's his zeal, it's his favor, it's all of those things directed at us who do not deserve it. Good. We deserved sin, we deserved punishment, we deserved eternal separation from God. But mercy is not only the absence of that punishment, it's the presence of these amazing characteristics that personify God's loving nature. So it's not just the absence of this, it's the fullness of God in our lives. Another way you could say it, if you're trying to explain it to your seven-year-old maybe, is God's mercy is him pouring his life everything good, pouring all of his goodness, all that he personifies, pouring his life into our lives, even though we are not worthy vessels. 
That's mercy. And then if you begin to look at mercy in scripture, you can find all the adjectives, all the things that describe the mercy, the goodness, the faithfulness, the zeal, the favor of God directed at us. You see words like great. His mercy is great. It's rich. It's unfailing. It's plenteous. It's abundant. It's sure. It's everlasting. His mercy is tender. It's fresh. It's higher than the sky. And it's all over the earth. This is why his mercies can be new every morning because he never runs out of mercy to extend toward us. Uh, Crowd participation here. If you have experienced the mercy of God, let me see your hand. If you've experienced the mercy of God, we've all experienced the mercy. So what this means is now it's our turn to take this mercy that we've experienced and to extend it toward others. And don't, 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 don't ever think that there won't be ample opportunity for you to do this. You are going to have opportunities every single day as you interact with people, as you are on social media, as you're watching the news, as you're in traffic, as you're dealing with your kids and your family, every single day. There's like a corn, coin, not a corn, maybe a corn shortage, but a coin (laughs) shortage going on right now. But there will never be a shortage of people that need mercy uh, extended toward them. Now, maybe you're hearing that and you're just kind of going, yeah, I've got to show mercy to all these people. And this feels like a burden. And I'm not very excited about this. But really, this should excite you. And really, what Jesus said is my yoke is easy and my burden is light so extending mercy to everyone doesn't have to be burdensome this is easy it's not hard it's not hard it's easy and here's why mercy has nothing to do with worthiness write that down mercy has nothing to do with worthiness so what that tells us is that we get to not have to but we get to go through life extending the mercy of God towards others and we don't have to waste any time energy or effort judging them sizing them up to see whether or not they're worthy of it or whether or not they deserve our mercy so it's not burdensome it takes the burden off and says just show mercy to everyone Uh, if there was a multiple choice question and it says um who deserves mercy is it a the democrats or B, the Republicans, or C, black lives, or D, police officers, E, Catholics, or uh, F, Christians, or G, all of the above? The answer would be all of the above. Every Christian. You know Christians need mercy too? (laughs) I forget that one sometimes. I'm like, you should know better. But every Christian that we meet is a person in whom Jesus lives. Every lost person soul that we meet is a person for whom Jesus died. Both are worthy candidates for his mercy. Both are perfect candidates to receive God's goodness and his faithfulness and his kindness and his favor through you. I love this quote by Brian Stevenson. He wrote the book, Just Mercy. He says, mercy is most empowering, liberating, and transformative when it's directed at the undeserving. Think about that. Jesus, the mercy toward us. It's empowering and liberating, and it's transformed our lives, hasn't it? It's transformed my life. It was directed at the undeserving. The people who haven't earned it, who haven't even sought it, are the most meaningful recipients of our compassion. Why 
do we make people earn our mercy when God didn't make us earn his? We've got to be full of mercy. And maybe today you're realizing, okay, yes, I get it. There will never be a shortage of people that need mercy, but I'm experiencing like a personal uh, mercy shortage. Like I feel like I'm having a hard time extending mercy. How can I get more mercy? Like where do I go? Do I need to come up to the altar and ask God to give me more mercy? Well, Jesus tells us, he says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So what this is, is the more mercy you extend, the more mercy you are given. And the more that you are given, the more that you have to give out. The more that you give, the more that you are able to receive. The more you receive, the more you can give. So I know it sounds crazy that you might be low on mercy and and that you would start to give it out, but you've got to start giving it out. No matter how low your supply seems, just start extending mercy towards other people and God will give you his mercy, that abundant, that plenteous, that higher than the sky mercy. He'll never run out. And if he never runs out, that means you never have to run out of mercy uh, to show to people in your life. Um, as I was writing this, I just really felt strongly um, that, that right now, God is putting somebody on your heart, like a face. You're seeing somebody, a sibling or a coworker, maybe a parent, um, and, and God's asking you to think about the mercy that he's shown you, undeserving you, and he's asking you to extend that mercy toward that person. I... I, uh, as I, like I said, as I was writing this, I sensed just like tension, tension in a family, tension and tearing apart like never before. And God's saying, listen, I want to mend your family. I want to fix your family, but I need this attitude of mercy to be at the forefront of your life. And I just got this picture of this person is outwardly sinful and you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness and holiness. So there's some disagreement. But he says, just because you hunger and thirst for holiness doesn't mean you cut people off. It doesn't mean that you throw people away. He's saying, I need you to shine your light in this person's life, and I need you to extend transformative mercy toward them, even though you think they don't deserve it. That's a word for somebody here this morning. He wants to transform your family. It starts with you extending mercy. Number two, untouchable are the pure in heart. Somebody say, these attitudes attitudes should be in my life. Okay, the pure in heart. What's Jesus talking about here when he says heart? He is talking about who we are like at our core, our inner person. He's talking about like uh, the master control area of our life, who we are in secrecy, the part of us that only God truly knows, our thoughts, our secrets. I love how John Piper uh, explains this. He says, what you are at the invisible root, that's your heart, it matters as much to God as what you are at the visible branch. You know, man looks at the visible branch, but God is looking at the heart, the invisible root. So this is crucial. Our hearts are crucial to Jesus, to God. And he says here, untouchable are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now this word pure, it has two basic meanings. It means clean 
and it means unmixed. And the way that Jesus is using it here in the Beatitudes, he's talking about unmixed. He's saying blessed are the, the people whose hearts are not mixed, whose hearts are not divided. Blessed are people who have uh, singular hearts, uh, uh, singleness of heart, not a divided heart. Our kids, our, our older kids, they went to camp a couple weeks ago at Frontier Cove, and we were so thankful that we got, they got to go, and so thankful for uh, their counselors and the people that poured into them, like spiritual investments were made. I'm just so thankful for New Life Ranch. Um, but they came home with these little notebooks, and their, what they did their daily devotionals in while they were there. And I was looking through them, reading them, seeing what they learned about, and they had this exercise where they were talking about a divided heart. Uh, this is Gus's page from his notebook. I don't know if you can see it there, but he's got a heart with a couple little lines in it. It says, the first heart's a divided heart. What are some things that we give our hearts to? Sports, friends, video games, church, Jesus. Write those things in the different spaces of the first heart. So Gus wrote, Jesus, mom and dad, sisters, which that's not really a thing for Gus. I don't know. I don't know. He, I don't know. He must have been missing Sonny or something, but sisters and then sports. And then it has the next heart, just write Jesus in the second heart. And then it asks the question, do you have a divided heart? And I love how Gus answered. Not probably, but probably. Yeah. Do you have a divided heart? Yeah, I probably do. Okay. Now this is my daughter Bo's page from her book. Okay. Apparently, <laughs> she's all Jesus all the time. Her heart is not divided. Do you have a divided heart? Nope. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I loved that. Uh, but yeah, I think if we're all being honest, we would probably answer the question like Gus. Do you have a divided heart? Probably. If I gave you a heart like that to fill out, uh, what kind of things would, would be taking up your heart, taking up your center attention, your focus away from Jesus? Would it be money, success? Would it be uh, entertainment, pleasure? Is it family time, uh, ch church time, Jesus, your heart? What would it look like? Listen, Jesus isn't after a mixed heart like that. He wants a pure heart, an undivided heart. He says later in the epic Sermon on the Mount. He says later, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and pleasure. You can't serve both God and your kids' club sports team. You can't serve both God and the lake. You can't serve both God and whatever it is that's taking your time, energy, and focus away from him. Okay, here's a thought. Here's a thought. You can't serve both God and that really just and noble cause that you're defending. Is what you're doing for Jesus, is it taking priority over being with Jesus? Is what you're doing for him taking over priority over being with Jesus? You know, we always suspect that it's the bad things that come and mix up our hearts. But I know for me, more often than not, it's the good things. It's time with my family. It's my kids. It's my husband. Time with Josh. It's this church. You know, it's ministry. It's, it is getting behind these causes and, and making sure that, that people are being spoken up for and stood up for. It's good things. But when those things take all my time, energy, and focus away from God, it causes me to have a divided heart. They're not good things anymore. Listen, is starting that new business or leading that small group, family time at the lake, 
Are these things taking priority over being with Jesus? If the answer is yes, then you're just, you're out of luck. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're not out of luck. It's not like, oh my gosh, I've blown it. I've been doing for Jesus instead of being with Jesus and all hope is lost. No, there's a really simple solution where you can reshift your focus and you could take that divided heart and make it a pure heart. All you have to do is ask this, how will my daily plans change to include intentional time to be with Jesus? Just look at your day. How will my daily plans change to include intentional time to be with, with Jesus? I'll be honest, this is a question that I haven't been asking. And um, I'm a very planner person. Um, I I love having the plan, knowing the plan. I would even schedule out time for intentional time to be with Jesus. But when corona hit and like everything started kind of going south in April, I just decided I was going to fly by the seat of my pants in a lot of ways. I kind of had to with the kids being at home and school online and trying to work and getting this building done, all the different things. I'm just like, just kind of going, going like every day, taking the day as it comes. Um, And God's given me mercy. He's extended mercy toward me because he's full of it, right? He's full of mercy. He's extended me mercy, but he's been showing me as, as I mapped out this point and as I discovered what it meant to be pure in heart, that my heart has been divided. And although he's extended me mercy, it is now time to get intentional and to fight for intentional time to be with Jesus every single day, not to work for Jesus, not to study for Jesus, not to preach for Jesus, but to be with Jesus. I want that because Jesus says, blessed or untouchable are the pure in heart for they will see God. They'll see God. That's a pretty mind-blowing red letter promise from Jesus himself. When you're pure in heart, you'll see God. I don't know if there's any higher blessing for a human than to be able to see God. He's higher than all, more powerful, the creator of the universe for us to be able to see God. I think Moses wanted to see God. We know David prayed to see God. We know Philip said to Jesus in John 14, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Philip didn't understand that he was looking at the Father because Jesus came to reveal God the Father. But you see this pattern of people, they wanted to see God. Do we desire to see God? Not like in a Moses way where we're hiding behind a rock and he quickly passes by. I'm talking about Do we desire to have eyes that are open to see God in a world that's full of him? Do you want to see God? The eyes see what the heart loves. What have you been seeing a lot of lately? Your eyes see what your heart loves. If the heart loves God and is devoted only to him, our eyes will see God when other people cannot. We can see him in a lot of ways. We can see him in creation. We know that David was a man after God's own heart, and he saw God all over creation in the way that the deer pants for the stream in storms, in the skies, in sunsets. He could see God in creation. Listen, when you have a purity of heart, there could be a lot of things going on in the world, but if you step outside and just take a big, deep breath and you look up at those clouds moving in the sky, you you think of things like those clouds are always moving 
God is always moving. You can see him in sunrises and sunsets, the faithfulness of the Father. You can see him as you look to that little sparrow out in your front yard that is not worried at all about the economy or coronavirus or schools uh, not being in session. That little sparrow is not worried about anything. You can see him as the crepe myrtles bloom and they look gorgeous and and they're just beautiful and they're not worried about uh, what they're wearing or their status or anything like that. We can see God in creation if our hearts are pure, we can see him in our circumstances. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God works all things or all circumstances uh, for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. When your heart is pure and singular and devoted to God, you can see him in all of your circumstances. Like mountain highs, valley lows, you see the fingerprints of God. I I was thinking this week about how if I look back over the history of my 35-year-old life, it's almost overwhelming to think about how none of this has been a series of accidents, but appointments, divine appointments, that God sees me and has arranged things and mapped out a path for me to walk in. From the way that my parents conceived me to meeting Josh, to that first house that we brought on Brookside in Tulsa, to the negative pregnancy test, to the positive pregnancy test, to the different moves that we've made, to the way that we started this church, to the people that we've chosen to do life with, I can see God in all of it. We can see God in our circumstances if our hearts are not divided. Can you see him in 2020? You know, a lot of people are having trouble seeing God right now. But it's not because he's not here. And it's not because he's not moving. If you can't see him in your circumstances, it's because your heart's divided. Another way that we can see God is in his word. If you're pure in heart, when you open the Bible, when you're having quiet time, when you come to church... God will speak to you. You will see him. You'll get new revelation of him, of his characteristics, of his goodness, of his promises. You know, there's some people that think that it's just certain people. I used to think this about Trudy, my mother-in-law. Man, she gets so much out of the word. She can take like one word in scripture and just get so much out of it. She's just such a special person. She has such a special connection with God. But that's not how it works. There's not just special people that get special connections and get to see God more than others. The reason she could see more of him than I could in that season of my life is because she had a pure heart and mine was still mixed up with some things. Listen, if you want to be the kind of person that your pastor's preaching on forgiveness and you've heard forgiveness preached 800 times, but you still get some new revelation out of the word, you need to have a pure heart devoted to him and him alone. All right, number Three, untouchable are the peacemakers. The peacemakers. Somebody say, these attitudes attitudes should be in my life. life. Good job. You guys are doing awesome. (laughs) Peacemakers. Okay, this doesn't describe somebody who just lives in peace without any conflict. Just very zen. Uh, This is talking about people who actually bring about peace. People who overcome evil with good. Peace is is so much more than the absence of war. Okay, when Jewish people 
meet, when they come into contact with each other, they say shalom. When they depart from each other, they say shalom, which means peace. But what they're saying is not like, hi, hope you don't have any conflict today, or see you later, hope you don't get any fights today. What they're saying is shalom. I hope that today you experience a total well-being in your mind, in your body, in your heart, in your spirit. This is what peace is. Peace is a creative force. Like, think about that. It's a creative force. And a peacemaker is a person who releases that creative force into the world to make a difference, to change things, to bring about peace. A person of war throws stones. But a peacemaker takes those stones and figures out how to make a bridge out of those stones. We see Jesus as a peacemaker in scripture. Peacemakers don't avoid the battle. They're not like, that's messy. I'm not getting into that. They actually go into the battle and they transform the battleground into a ministry of reconciliation. If we want to be peacemakers, we have to understand some very important things about peace that the world has kind of gotten mixed up about. Okay. Number one, the source of peace is God. The source of peace is is God. He's called the God of peace six times in the New Testament. Uh, One of his Old Testament names is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Okay, I love this thought. Think about this. The Trinity. We see the Trinity here. God is the God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of peace. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace. 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 So we see that the Trinity, we see peace all throughout the Trinity. You cannot be a peacemaker if you do not know God. You cannot be a peacemaker if you do not have a relationship with the Trinity, okay? Number two, the enemy of peace is sin. It's sin. The reason people are at war with each other is because they're at war with themselves. There's this war between their flesh, between their spirit, between uh, who the world says they should be and who God says they should be. James 4, 1 through 4. What's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Then he says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? So if God is a source of peace and friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God, it makes you an enemy with peace. If you choose to side with any of the enemies of God, which are the world, your flesh, and the devil, if you choose to side with any of those things, you position yourself to be a troublemaker instead of a peacemaker. I know there's a lot of people right now that are calling for peace, heading out to peaceful protests and rallies, wanting to step in and help people in their marriages and and, and bring peace to certain situations. And that's all awesome. But let me just say, before you step in and try to bring peace, you need to pray this prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139. Search me thoroughly, O God. Know my heart. See if there's any wicked or hurtful way or sinful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Listen, you can't bring peace to a situation. If there's a part of you that's at war with God, if you've got sin or a wicked way in your life, then you have no business stepping in and helping trying to bring peace to that marriage or peace to that social injustice or whatever it is. We have to have uh, a heart that's, that's willing to be searched and ready to repent. Number three, the minister of peace is the Christian. It's the Christian. We, we have to stop relying on the government and certain organizations to bring about peace. This is our job. 
The ministry of peacemaking is for the Christian. And, and here's, what, here, here's what's happening. We talked about this in our cultural conversations here uh, on Thursday night. And if you missed it, we recorded it. It will be broadcast soon. It was really, really special. But, but Tondurai, uh talked about this, that um, the organization like Black Lives Matter, uh, they're saying what's so true. They are saying the absolute truth. Black lives 100% matter. So they start taking that narrative and they create this organization to bring about peace, but so many other things that they align themselves with, they make themselves an enemy of peace because of God. But the reason that they are able to take these words and start running with it is because the Christians are staying silent. When this all started happening, they rose up and said, Black Lives Matter, and people rallied behind this thing that's really uh, riddled with troublemaking instead of peacemaking. But the reason that people are grabbing onto that is because the churches are staying silent, because Christians are staying silent, because Christians weren't the first one to coin that phrase and make it a big deal and say, Black Lives Matter. Listen, peacemaking is a responsibility of us, not the government, not organizations run by people who do not know the peace of God, who do not know God as the source of peace. This is our job. We need to take it seriously. And then number four, the outcome of peace is godliness. Untouchable are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. I was at the pool the other day and uh, it's our first summer in this neighborhood. So you meet a lot of new families at the pool and I was talking with one of the dads and introducing my kids. I was like, that one's mine, that one's mine, and that one's mine. And he said, well, there's no way you could deny that one. She looks just like you. He was talking about my daughter, Bo. And as I thought about this, how peacemakers will be called sons of God, it's, it's kind of like this, God's at the pool. And he said, that one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine. And somebody's, this the person that he's talking to, like, yeah, there's no way you could deny her. She looks like you. She talks like you. She acts like you. She thinks like you. She releases creative force of peace like you to bring change in the world. There's no denying that one. She's your daughter. We'll be called the children of God when we have peace in our lives and we are serious about the ministry of peacemaking. Listen, the world needs more people imaging forth God, the Father, We need more peacemakers. Number four, the last of the Beatitudes. Untouchable are those who are persecuted. Untouchable are those who are persecuted for their political beliefs. No. Untouchable are those who are persecuted for their race. No, that's not what it says. Untouchable are those who are persecuted for their decision to send their kids to public school. No. Untouchable are those who are persecuted for not wearing a mask or for wearing a mask. That's not what it says. We like to kind of lump everything into like, I'm being persecuted. So often what we say is persecution is not persecution at all. Jesus says untouchable are those who are persecuted for righteousness and for his name's sake, for his name's sake. Persecution. I know it's one especially that doesn't go with the word blessed here right? Persecution and blessed, they seem to just be just oxymoronic, like you can't have both. Persecution is unfair or abusive treatment toward a person or group of people because of righteousness and for Jesus's name's sake. And here's the thing, if we are committed to really living like Jesus, 
then we are going to experience persecution. We need to learn to expect it. If we're living the way Jesus lives, the world's going to treat you the way it treated him. Philippians 3.10 says, you will share in the fellowship of his sufferings. We know that the world welcomes a compromising Christian. We know it because we see it all the time. But it hates the Christian who does the will of God. Listen, if you will dare to live out these beatitudes, like really go for it, and these attitudes that Jesus talked about, if they are in your life like he wants them to be, you will experience persecution. I think sometimes we think that when Jesus talks about, especially young people in the room, hear me, this is important for you to understand because I know it's hard sometimes when you're on that narrow road. But I think that that we think that the narrow road is just a smaller road that runs right beside the big, broader road, right? And, and, And we're going the same direction as everybody else, but we're just a little bit more cramped and a little bit more uncomfortable. And we have a little bit of like, there's a cones over here and a, and a ramp, like there's just, we're kind of blocked in, but that's not what this means. When he says that we're to walk the narrow road, the narrow road is right smack dab in the middle of the broad road, and it's not going with the flow of traffic, it's not going with the flow of culture, it's going in the exact opposite direction. And because of that, we're gonna have some collisions. We're gonna experience some persecution. Every single beatitude, these attitudes that Jesus said should be in our life, they oppose American culture in every way. The kingdom is about being poor in spirit. American culture is about convincing the world that we are somebody. It's about ego. The kingdom is about mourning over sin. American culture is about making excuses and brushing things under the rug and just moving on. The kingdom is about meekness. American culture is about the most aggressive person gets ahead. The kingdom is about hungering for holiness and righteousness and wholeness. American culture is about eat, drink, and be merry because you only live once. The kingdom is about mercy. American culture is about mercy, but only if we think you deserve it, which isn't really mercy at all. The kingdom is about purity and heart, and American culture is a perpetual factory of idols, constantly putting things out to get our attention divided, to get our focus off God. The kingdom is about peacemaking. American culture is about point making. We want to drop the mic, make the point, and walk away. When we live according to God's kingdom, to these beatitudes, people are going to hate hate us for it. I'm just warning you. Because I think it's going to, we're going to experience it more than we ever have before. If we are really going to live this way, the world is going the total opposite direction, hardcore, full speed. We got to go the other way. You're going to experience persecution. When we gather for church in the midst of a pandemic, people are going to, they're going to hate us for it. When we speak up for black lives, people will hate us for it. When we speak against abortion, people will hate us for it. When we speak up for God's design for marriage, one man and one woman, People will hate us for it. When we speak against pedophilia, people will hate us for it. When we talk about Jesus, when we talk about holiness, when we say this is sin and we expose sin, people will hate us for it. The, the, The root meaning of the word righteousness, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, is to divide and to be different. And and Jesus was different. In a world that thrives on conformity can't really handle different. 
We are different than the world. We are children of the light. We're children of light. They're children of darkness. We walk by faith. The world walks by sight. We are alive in Christ. They are dead in sin. We understand them, but they don't understand us. And what happens when you don't understand someone? You begin to fear them. And what happens when you fear someone? You begin to attack that thing that you fear because you don't understand it. You will have persecution in your life and you need to be prepared for that. You need to know how you're gonna respond when you encounter it. Not react, not retaliate, not resent, but how do you respond when you are under persecution? Jesus gives us uh, uh, three great things that we are to do, we're to reign. Number one, When we are experiencing persecution, we got to remember that we reign. We take time to remember that Jesus said, untouchable are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It belongs to you. You are a king. You can reign through this persecution. You need to see this persecution through the eyes of a king, not through the eyes of a servant. You need to respond to this persecution like a king, not like a servant. On March 11th, 1830, A British girl was doing her lessons with her tutor, and the lesson they had to do uh, that day was with the royal family. As she studied the genealogical chart in the book, she became aware of the astounding fact that she was next in line for the throne. Like, imagine that, sitting down with your tutor, working on a family tree, and realizing, oh my gosh, I'm next in line for the throne. At first, the little girl, she wept, because what a huge responsibility, right? But then she looked at her tutor and said, I will be good. I will be good. The fact that little Victoria would one day be queen motivated her to live on a higher level. The fact that you and I are already kings should motivate us to live on a higher level. We respond to persecution differently because we're living on a higher level because we have been crowned kings in the kingdom of God. People with low self-esteem they're gonna quickly react to persecution because they gotta defend themselves. But believers who know that they're kings and they're filled with the riches of God, they know that that's beneath their dignity to retaliate like that. You reign through persecution. We will reign through persecution. Number two, we rejoice. So Jesus tells us that blessed are those who are persecuted for the kingdom is theirs. And then he goes on to say, be happy about it. Be very glad. Don't be griping about it and being a baby about it and like be happy about it. Jesus said, be happy about it. Be glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. That's pretty cool. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So he's kind of putting you on the same level as Paul and Silas, as Peter, as John, the Baptist. Like that's pretty cool. So we've got we've to be happy about this. And one of the things that will help us to rejoice is to realize that when we are being persecuted, it's actually a good sign. Yeah. It's actually evidence. It's our evidence that we are living for God and that these attitudes are in our lives. Another reason that we can rejoice through persecution is because it helps us grow. When you're being persecuted, you're gonna, it's going to either drive you to God or away from God. And and if it drives you to God, you're going to grow. It'll help you take stock of your priorities. Like what really matters? Am I going to lose this follower because I stand up for what's right? Or uh, the fact that I'm going to make Jesus proud? Like what really matters here? We begin to take stock of our priorities. Churches in California 
right now, they're experiencing persecution. And uh, they can't meet in their buildings, so they've moved to the beaches, and now they're being told that they can't meet at the beaches. And uh, they're receiving citations, they're having their gatherings interrupted by the police, but somehow, through persecution, these churches are growing. God's kingdom is growing. They're saying, we're not going to sit down for this. This is what matters. We don't care if we lose people. We don't care if we get tickets or get thrown in jail. We don't care. And because of that, people are getting saved. People are getting water baptized. People are getting healed. There's a church I follow out there called Saturate OC, Orange County. And they have this caption on one of their Instagram posts this week. Despite a citation, despite signs down PCH, the beloved Pacific Coast Highway, despite signs down PCH that Saturate was canceled, even though they didn't cancel it, police put up those signs that said Saturate has been canceled. Despite threats for arrest, despite police everywhere interrupting worship, despite providing hundreds of masks, separating between three lifeguard towers, and that's still not being enough, hundreds were saved and baptized. Hundreds were set free. People were healed. Demons were cast out. The gospel was preached. God was glorified. And the church, the church was woken up. Check this out. I'm so proud of people like that who choose to reign and rejoice and just keep moving forward for Jesus. And lastly, when we're persecuted, we release love. Not like a shallow sentiment kind of love, but a settled attitude of our heart and our mind that leads to definite actions of our will. That's love. We have to respond to persecution in love, to treat people the way God treated us, loving our enemies even the way God loved us when we were his enemies. Matthew 5, 3 through 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. If you would, bow your head. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? Who do, you, who do you need to extend mercy toward? What's your, what's your heart look like today? Like, what's got your heart divided? What's got your heart all mixed up? What's taken your focus off of just being with Jesus? Maybe God's calling you to make peace with someone. To bring peace to a situation. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Maybe he's just preparing you for persecution and letting you know it'll be okay and he'll be with you and you can rejoice because you reign in the kingdom of heaven. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, maybe you've just been living the American dream and kind of 
going with the flow of American culture and you realize it's really a crummy way to live, like you're not satisfied, you're not uh, feeling joy. You're at conflict with yourself. You, you're, just, you're, just, you're just not happy. You're just fed up. You just want something different. Jesus is the different. Jesus wants to bring that change to your life. He wants to make you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. He wants to give you a brand new born-again spirit. He wants you to be one of his children, to welcome you into the family of God. He's pulling on your heart. He is drawing you with his kindness. Drawing you with his kindness. Saying, I'm not mad. I love you. I'm not mad. I just want to be with you. I don't want to be separated from you anymore. He's pulling on your heart this morning. And I'm inviting you to respond to that tugging on your heart, to that pulling on your heart, to respond with a prayer of surrender, to respond by giving your life over to him. The word says that if we believe in our heart and we say with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved, that something supernatural and miraculous and too wonderful to ever be able to fully wrap our minds around happens. The old man has passed away. The old Jew is gone. And he gives you a brand new born again spirit. So church, would you say this prayer with me? And if that's you this morning, I want you to say this prayer. Take stock of what you're saying. Confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart. And today, your name is written in heaven. Today, you start a brand new journey with God. Would you say this with me, church? God. I say with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord and Savior. I believe Jesus died and that you raised him from the dead. His blood washed away all my sins. God, I'm sorry for my sins. But now sin no longer separates me from you. Thank you for forgiving me. I give you my life. Thank you for giving me a brand new perfect spirit. Thank you for welcoming me into the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, Go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.